Well, needless to say, we are, we are excited to be with you all. I, on behalf of Lawanda and our family, we want to congratulate you, New Song Church, on your new pastor. Uh, amen. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Boy, I'll tell you, I just so appreciate, uh, uh, Pastor Clint. We, we had a chance to get dinner together the other week and then we had a great conversation, um, actually just last night. Boy, Lawanda and I were talking on the way over here. I'm a baby boomer and, and all of this techie stuff is, that's a whole different universe than the one that I came out of. So, so, uh, uh, but it's exciting. But I, I am, I'm, I'm thrilled at what God has done, uh, in terms of, uh, your pastor, as we've gotten a chance to know and to fellowship and hear his heart. Uh, I don't know that there is anyone that I'm aware of who more closely parallels the vision and the heart and the DNA of this church. You all hold a special place in our heart. And having a chance to just uh, fellowship and, and just touch his heart, it's like, Lord, this was just perfect. This was just perfect. It's amazing how God can start something long ago because this, this has been a process that's been years uh, incoming, and the Lord just brings everything together so perfectly. So we are excited about that. We were just talking with some friends. There are other churches that are going through pastoral searches right now, and we have used New Song as a real example of how faithful God is to raise up shepherds after his own heart. Boy, I'll tell you, God, you are just so good to do that. And it is really a sign of how much God loves you, how much God loves your pastor and how much God loves your city. Because this isn't just for you all. I want you to know that. Uh, but he is bringing into the city another pastor who really accurately reflects his heart as a shepherd over his people. And so, again, Nusson, congratulations. We're blessed to be friends. Um, it's the first time in my life I've ever been introduced on a video. So... <laughs> So uh, I have something to tell my grandchildren. Of course, this all the techie stuff they, they live with. So anyway, this morning, I do want to uh, take some time, take a few moments and share with you what I believe is, is a word that God has. Uh, in the number of times that I have been with you, there has been a real strand that has uh, been consistent in terms of what the Lord has been has been speaking. I believe God has really been preparing soil for going forward into his purposes. We started some time ago talking about uh, um, uh, following Jesus and all that meant. We, we talked about hearing from God. Last time that I was here, we talked about living for the king and the kingdom. Uh, all of this, all of this, I believe, is really a not a reset, but just a more accurate alignment with the heart of Jesus because he is intimately involved in this whole process. Bible is very clear that apart from him, you can do no thing. He becomes the point of reference. He becomes true north in terms of direction. And so everything lines up, must line up with him. And he is precise and specific and detailed enough so that variances in either way kind of put us out of line. 
And so he's very careful and he is uh, diligent to always make sure that we are in line. And so these, these times that I've been here really are, in my view, just an alignment to make sure that everyone is in line with him. Every encounter that you have, you do before an audience of one. And you do involving, in, in an, even in an encounter with two people, there are always three that are involved because he's involved in that. Each one is meant to accomplish a certain end. And so this morning I want to kind of continue our, our journey. I want to kind of have my Bible for just a second. Uh, I want to continue our, 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 our journey here. And I want to ultimately talk about three foundation stones. Understand, thank you, that you are in a, a journey. Jesus says 84 times in the scriptures, uh, follow me. Three times he says you must be born again, but 84 times he says, follow me. And so that implies that this is going somewhere. This really is a journey. There is a journey into destination and destiny that God has for you as individuals, for you as a church. You don't just exist by yourselves. You exist as a part of a larger uh, vision and view that God has for his church. Ultimately, we are all called together as one body to bring glory and honor to him and to extend his kingdom. And so this really is is a part of that. I want to start in a place that is just uh, two short scriptures and then I, then I want to get to the bulk of what I want to talk about this morning. But this is in Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2. It's a verse that some of you may be familiar with, but this is what it says simply. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so deaf that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, I'm not trying to suggest anything, and I'm certainly not trying to lay some heavy thing on anyone, but I am trying to point something out. Uh, God is very clear. He says, I can act, I can save, and I can hear. But in this case, in in Isaiah 59, he said, the problem isn't my ability nor capacity, but the problem, Israel, is that there are some things that I need to make adjustment about. And the whole rest of chapter 59 is really about Israel's issues. Uh, the thing that was challenging for me when I first read this, or when it was first pointed out, is the fact that you can pray and God won't respond. Because he's saying here, because of these issues, Israel, I'm not going to hear and I'm not going to respond. Uh, because God is very precise in what he looks for. Last time that we were here, we talked about the musts and the cannots. And as we go further on, God will more and more call us to task on those musts because... His will is going to be worked out precisely, not just simply what he wants done, but as and how he wants it done. He's called us to be as a people, a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but to be holy and blameless before him. Now, here is the thing. We cannot make ourselves that way. You understand that? That only he can make us that way. And so it is essential that he is with us in the journey as we walk the journey out. Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And we spend a whole lot of time in our lives actually proving that to be the case because it's so easy for us to try to do things without him. And we only we then find out, oh, well, I guess it didn't work out so well. Or if it did, it didn't seem to have the results, God, that, that you were looking for. So um, so I want to to take some time and talk about this morning, the, the journey that, 
that we are on. And I want to talk specifically about those foundation stones. And I want to go back. I'm not going to take a lot of time to recap this because we don't really have time for that. But, but the last time we talked about the king and how we relate to him. The thing that I wanted you to see at that point was however you see him, however you see him is really going to begin to reveal some things about yourself. Do you realize that you can't know who you are apart from him? And so it's important that, that we understand that and that he himself becomes the center point. Uh, um, in chapter 15, I want to actually read to you Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 through 20 again. Uh, it's not in, in your bulletin, but I want to read that because that's going to be a point of reference here this morning. Uh, beginning in uh, verse 13, chapter 1, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that in himself uh, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything for it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven let's pray father I thank you for your word to us. I thank you, Lord, that you are not a God who just simply made us and then left us to figure this out, but that you intimately walk with us as we fulfill your purposes. You walk with us in the process of redemption. You walk with us in the process of sanctification. You walk with us in the process of glorification so that at the end of the day, you would be glorified and your kingdom extended. Father, I ask this morning that you would give all of us ears to hear that which you are saying to us so that we we might hear, understand, and respond appropriately to that which you are saying. Lord, I ask that you would help me, that I might be faithful as a servant to speak your word, carefully conveying not only your word, but your heart as well. And so, Lord, we commit this morning both the declaring and the hearing of your word to you, so that at the end of the day, you would be glorified and honored, and we might be faithful to respond in a way which pleases you. We commit this all to you now in Jesus' name. Thank you, O God. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, the passage that we just read in, in Colossians really is all about Jesus. Because all of this ultimately is really about him. That may sound elementary or primitive, but it's always about him because he is the center piece. What I want to share with you this morning, though, is... Uh, a number of understandings and commitments. We're going to talk about three particular foundation stones that are going to be important to you. And I want you to understand this about the foundation stones. What God has called us all to is a life of consecration. We have been called out of the world and we have been set apart to him. We are precious, peculiar, uh, specifically for his purposes. Uh, and there are some things that only we are aware of, can experience, and even know. Do you know that apart from being born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God? That the world has no idea who the Holy Spirit is because they can't see him. 
I mean, Jesus actually said that the world can't receive him. Uh, and so there are things that he has made available to us that really help us in this journey, this journey into his destiny and purposes for us. Consecration is a very big piece of that. I didn't, I learned that from some Africans because I saw lives of consecration and it's like, Lord, this is so much different than what we have seen and know. So in that journey, uh, uh, toward the three foundation stones, and I will, I will enumerate those here in a moment, I want to also set before you, and I won't be able to touch all of these this morning. I'll be here again, I believe, in, in June, so we'll be able to finish up this list, but I want to submit for you seven understandings and acknowledgements that you need to be aware of in this journey of consecration in relating properly to Jesus. Seven of these. And so if you're taking a list, I'll just go through the list. And then I want to touch briefly a few of those as we we talk through things. Very first thing, everything starts with who he is. So the first understanding or acknowledgement is who he is. Secondly, whose you are. When you understand who he is, then it, you begin to understand some things about yourself. So the second understanding or acknowledgement is whose you are. The third is who you are. Now, there is a difference between those two, whose you are and who you are. Fourth understanding or acknowledgement that I want to touch on is what you are. Number five would be why you are. Number six would be where you are. And the last, seventh and last, is where your place is. Those are all critical in aligning properly your relationship with him so that as we follow him, we remain tracking perfectly with him. Who he is, who you are, whose you are, I'm sorry, who you are, what you are, why you are, where you are, and where your place is. And and we'll share some of those. Uh, with you now, when we when we looked at the last time that we were here, we talked about God being the center of all things, and we talked about the orientations. Remember, there were three orientations that we referred to: reorienting your worldview. I won't I won't unpack this this morning because I really want to get to uh, some of the other issues here. The second reorientation was regarding our priorities and our ambitions. The third reorientation had to do with our daily, our activities, both daily and otherwise. That all flows out of who he is. I've got to change my life because of who he is. And so do you. It's not just we come to Jesus and he fixes a few things. Everything changes. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The context in which we live, the reality in which we live, and I, boy, I wish we had time to explore the depths of this, is that we live in Christ. Two words, two words that are filled with meaning and reality that most of us never think about. Um, and again, it is not my purpose this morning, but I want to start with that issue of we live in him. Now that has implications now for us. Going to verse 15 of chapter 1, of Colossians, it says, and he is the invis- he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus says the firstborn in, in, in Eastern cultures and many other cultures as well, the firstborn son or uh, always has inheritance rights. Whatever the father has goes the bulk of it to the firstborn. He becomes the owner. So. 
with Jesus, here's what has happened. He is the firstborn among many brethren. It actually says in the scripture. So he becomes the owner of all of this as the firstborn. And as the firstborn, not only is he the owner, he is your owner and mine. Let me read a number of passages here uh, in succession. I won't comment so much. Uh, I, I may stop off for a moment to make some comments, but I want you just to understand this issue of whose you are. He is the owner. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Verse 9 says, You were slain and you purchased for God with your blood. How many of you have made a major or a minor purchase In the last 24 hours, in the last week, any kind of purchase, whatever you purchased, whatever you bought, who did it belong to? Belong to you. Why does it belong to you? Because you paid for it. You paid a price for whatever you purchased. You paid a price. And so by rights, it became yours. Because you purchase it. Now, you can do with it whatever you want to do, but it was yours. Here in Revelation 5, what does it say? That Jesus uh, uh, purchased for God with his blood. He purchased. What did he purchase? Who did he purchase? Men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Show of hands, how many of you have been purchased by Jesus? Okay. Question for you, based on this scripture, What was the price that he paid to buy you? It was his blood. It was his blood. It's a pretty high price to pay. To purchase you for God. He owns you. And he owns me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Verse 20 says you were bought with a price. What was the price that was paid for for your purchase? Again, his, his blood. His blood. Okay? But right before that, what does it say? You, you're not your own. So not only do you belong to you, who do you not belong to? You don't belong to yourself. So you don't have rights to this thing. Why? Because it doesn't belong to me. Now I want to show you something. Romans chapter 8 verses 9 and 10. However, you are not in the flesh but in in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not belong to Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, then there are certain things that the scriptures talk about. But it's this notion of belonging to or not belonging to Christ. Notice that in both 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans 8, the references to uh, uh, um, belonging to have to do with the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, it says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. 
Romans 8 says, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So even your physical body doesn't belong to you. Why? Because it's the temple. It's the dwelling place of God. You don't have the right to do what you want with it because it is, it's a holy place. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. I want to just take a little bit of a jog though because I want to point something out to you concerning this notion of, of, uh, 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 you're belonging to him. In Romans 8, it says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In that whole series of, of scriptures, there are four references to the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And then there's this one reference to the spirit of Christ. If anyone doesn't belong, doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. What's the difference between the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ? Because all four, all five of those are referred to, but why the designation? I want to show you something that, that is important for you to understand concerning the Spirit of Christ. Uh, is that different than the Holy Spirit? And is there a manifestation of that? Two passages, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 8. This is what it says. Therefore, when he, Jesus, comes into the world, he says, this is what he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, meaning Jesus, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying sacrifices and offerings uh, and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, verse 9, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. That passage is a requoting of, of Psalm 40, chapter uh, chapter, uh, Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. This is what it says. Sacrifice and meal offering you, Father, have not desired. My ears, this is a prophetic Scripture concerning Jesus, my ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. Here is Jesus, the son saying sacrifice and offerings are not the things that you are interested in. But my desire is to do your will. Do you realize that God is not interested in your and my religious activities? They are meaningless to him. What does God desire? Obedience. Obedience is what he's longing for, what he looks for. Jesus understood that. Jesus says, I do always the things that are pleasing my father. And so obedience then becomes the issue. The manifestation of Jesus' heart, his motivation is, Father, I delight to do your will, which is why he went to the cross. He went to the cross. He loves you and I. He really does. But understand that his reason for going to the cross was that he loved his father. And he said, Father, I love you so much that I will willingly give my life so that you can be pleased with many sons and daughters who were like me. It was his love for the Father that was his motivation, which was why when he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a high price for him. It wasn't the pain that he was afraid of. It was the separation from his Father because he was so committed to pleasing his Father. I delight to do your will, O God. That was the heart of Jesus. Now, here is the thing. Here is, here is the issue that it is so important to understand. That that delight to do the will of God 
is not resident in you or in me. It ain't there. You read Romans 3 and you'll find it says there are none who seek after God. I mean, it just goes down the list of what we, what we have and don't have. I used to say, oh God, I, I just, I was looking for you. Well, the Bible says, no, you weren't looking for him. You read Romans 3. It's quite clear. So the issue of delighting to do the will of God, you cannot conjure that up in your heart. That is only there because the Spirit of Christ is in you that says, Father, I delight to do your will. That is a clear manifestation of the Spirit of Christ. How do I know I'm saved? Because I got this desire in me to want to do the will of the Father. Now, you can quench that, you can, squ- you can quench that, but I'll tell you something, if that's not there, you need to get saved. Because it is His life in me that says, Father, I delight to do your will. And if you don't have that, what does is, what is, uh, Paul say here? If the Spirit of Christ isn't in you, then you don't belong to Him. What's the remedy of that? need to get saved. So I just wanted you to see that little piece because it's a very important piece and we don't often look for the manifestation of that in my life. How do I know? How can I test this thing to make sure that I'm in the faith? One of the things is do I have a a desire or a delight to do the will of God? And if that's not there, here's what happens or if that's diminished in somewhere, the default place without a desire and a delight to do the will of God, you'll fall right into religious activity. You'll fall right into that thing. And that's a trap. That's a trap. That's hard to get out of that. So anyway, I've I've kind of lingered long enough there. So the manifestation of belonging to him is a desire and a delight to do his will. That says to me, I belong to him. Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8 says, For not one of us lives for himself, not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. In the kingdom, we're the Lord's. What we do, we don't do for us. Whatever you do, what does it say? You do all for the glory of God. And whatever you do, all in the name of... Because you're not doing this for you. You do this for the one who... Who, you, who owns you. Many of us are saved, but we don't really understand. And the word that I want to use is kind of a hard word. It's a biting word. It's not a pretty word. It says, but we're, we're saved, but we don't understand that our being saved also makes us slaves. It makes us slaves. Our problem with that view is that we want to keep doing our own will rather than his will. Let me kind of make that a little more palatable for you. The issue of slaves, the, the word there is bond slaves. Um, uh, with a bond slave, he has the right to do what he wants to do in your life. As your owner, he has that right, whatever he wants to do. And he has the right to demand whatever he wants to demand from your life. Abraham, give me your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac. He has the right to do that. Why? Because he owns you. You are his, purchased, bought with a price. There is nothing that can happen to you except he allow it. So what's the response to that? Response to that? You submit and you yield 
to his ownership of your life. Every one of the writers of the epistles all understood that. When you look at their letters, here is the way they all started. Paul's letters all started. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. James's epistle. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. We mentioned this the last time with Mary. Mary was called herself the bondslave of the Lord. Why? Because she knew I belong to him. So it's a matter of whose Am I? I am my owners. But there's a second aspect of that. Uh, uh, in verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him, through him, and for him. He's created all things. He created you. And he created me. By virtue of the fact that he is my creator, I'm his workmanship. What does that put our relationship? I belong to him. Anything that you create, we have copyright laws to protect people's creations. He has rights as our creator, as our author, if you will. The word authority just comes, the root word of that is author. He is our author. He is our creator. He has rights because he made us. He created us. Sorry. As our, as our creator, he gave us personality, gifts, abilities, temperament, circumstances. All of those things factor in to his creation in your life. You have certain abilities. You have certain skills. He allows certain, certain circumstances because he knows this circumstance that I, that I put you in, Rachel, is going to shape and mold you so that further you become a greater creation. Ultimately, what is he looking to do? He causes all things to work together for good. What's the end of that? Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. You're his creation. He's fashioning, he's restoring you and I to image and likeness. What he started in the garden is what he's doing. So as the creator then, the thing is, he says, you are my creator, uh, you are my creation. And so he, he, he shapes and he's molding us so that we can become all that he's called us to be. There are some things that he knows about you that you don't even know about you. And you know what he does to reveal those things? He will allow circumstances to cause something to come up in your life and you didn't even know it was there. I used to think that, that I got along with everybody. And then I got married and had kids. And, I, and there were things about me that I said, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was there. But there it was. But that's the way God is. Now, that leads me to the very first commitment. Because remember, I told you there were three foundation stones. This in this process of, 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 of consecration. First foundation stone. My life is not my own. We just talked about the fact that, that you have an owner and you have a creator. And by virtue of those two facts, your life is not your own. He's your owner. He's your creator. How do I walk that out? What does that mean? Well, let me suggest a couple things practically to look at. First of all, you need to acknowledge that he's your owner. I do have an owner. 
And in relating to him, the first thing that I do, I deny all of my rights. And I relinquish those rights and embrace his right to my life. Deny your rights and embrace his right to your life. That has all kinds of applications every day. Second thing in acknowledging him as owner, that you surrender and yield to his ownership. Boy, that word surrender. I hope that's a word that just gets burned into your heart. It is an awesome word. It is a great word, but it becomes a painful word at times. Jesus died on the cross within a matter of hours. The other two the other two who hung on, on his right and his left, they were going to break their legs. Why? Because crucifixion normally took days, not hours. Why did Jesus die in hours and not days? The reason that he died in a matter of hours and not days was that he surrendered, he yielded to the cross. He didn't fight the cross. He didn't fight, he just yielded. Lord, if it's possible, any other, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The thing that was the most costly, God said, give me that. And he didn't fight him on it. And so it was hours and not days. And so in this issue, surrender becomes a very big word in walking out that first commitment. My life is not my own. The second, as he is your creator, don't question him concerning how he orchestrates your daily circumstances. How many of you have been have done this? You go through a really difficult time, painful time, and you say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? He's the potter, you're the clay. He has rights to shape however he wants, and it's never... It, God is not trying to be malicious toward you. God is trying to give you the very best life that he has because he knows how he created you. So what he does, he will allow pressures. He'll allow heat. He'll allow pain. He'll allow all kinds of things because he knows that it's going to bring forth a vessel that brings glory and honor to him. You know what? I had a friend who years ago, um, we had a conversation, hadn't talked to each other in a number of years. And he said, Carlton, I've really been surprised in our conversation at the depth in your life. And I'm not trying to claim or bolster myself at all. This was another guy's conversation. And you can talk to my wife and she'll tell you different. But, but, but he, he commented on that. And all I knew to tell him was, you don't know what we've had to work through. Whom God will use greatly. He will wound or hurt deeply. That's what A.W. A. Tozier says. Why? Because they shape and mold. So you surrender to that. He, he lets circumstances take play in place in your life. Posture yourself to yield to and to flow with those circumstances. Secondly, as you acknowledge that he is your creator, know your gifts. Know your gifts, your graces, your passions, and cultivate an important word, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Let me tell you young people about that thing. Faithfulness is important. We live in a humanistic culture that exalts success and achievement. So we are all after that. You got a list. I got... Letters behind my name. Look at what I've accomplished. I mean, we pay people all kinds of stuff for accomplishment and achievement. We want success. Success breeds success. How many of you have heard that? God is not interested in success. You know what he's interested in? Faithfulness. Faithfulness is the thing that God is interested in. 
He used to work for Chuck Colson in Washington, and Chuck had a little plaque on his desk that I, that I love. It just said, faithfulness, not success. That becomes a real value. So it's this matter of, of faithfulness. That's how I work this thing. I acknowledge you as the owner. I acknowledge you as my creator. I won't deny, I deny all of my rights. I'll embrace your right to my life. I'll surrender and yield and I'll be faithful with those things that you have given me so that I find myself being shaped and molded by you. That all comes out of just whose you are. You belong to him. But then it's a matter of who are you? Who ye are. Verse 16, we read it already. You know, it's, uh, 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 you were created by him. Well, if he's my owner, here's, here's who I am. I'm a bond slave and I'm his creation. Quite simply. Quite simply. I'm a son? Sure. I have a whole list of things, but those are important issues because it makes my life available to him to shape and to mold. When I acknowledge, Lord, everything centers around you and your will, this is who I am. I'm your bondservant. I'm your creation. So have your way with me. You're the potter. I'm the clay. I won't resist. As a matter of fact, here's what happens when clay no longer is malleable. You have to break it. Because it no longer, once it's, when it's malleable, it's bendable, it's moldable, it's malleable. You can shape it and you can make it whatever you need to make that thing. But see yourself as, see him as your owner and I'm your servant. I worked with a guy at, uh, some years ago in a city reaching organization in Cleveland. He said, everybody wants to claim that they're a servant until somebody decides to treat them like one. <laughs> and then you'll find out how real that desire is. Okay, next thing in terms of that list of what we're to be, what you are. That speaks to purpose. Verse 16, it says that uh, all things were created for him and through him. That issue of what you are really goes to the heart of of your purpose. The reason that you were created. You were created to be a recipient of his love and grace. What are you and I? We are channels of grace and mercy, but we're recipients of grace and mercy. And so God says, I want to show you my love. I want to demonstrate my faithfulness to you. And so consequently, I will allow certain things to happen just so that you can see who I am toward you. Let me give you an example. God spoke to Moses about his, uh, I'm sorry, to Abraham about his offspring, that they were going to be in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. He actually told him that 1,500 years before all of that took place. He said, this is what's going to happen. Why did God let that happen? Because Israel needed to know and to see how great God's power was. Egypt needed to know that for sure. But Israel needed to know that they had a redeemer and that's just how, how powerful he was. Deuteronomy 8 says, God says, hey, look, I let you be hungry so that you would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's Deuteronomy 8. Where do you know that from? Luke. Jesus is in the wilderness. But he's quoting that. God said, I let this happen. Why? Because you will become a demonstration of my wisdom. It actually says in Ephesians 3 that we are to be, the church is to be the manifold or to display the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and powers in the heavenly places. Do you know that God is putting you and I on display? He said, look at what I'm doing. I always thought it was, it was the most marvelous thing God said. I'm going to show you how bad I am. I can take dirt and glorify myself through dirt. Isn't that what he did? What did he fashion you and me out of? 
And he said, I'm going to put my very power, character, and everything about me, I'm going to put it in that. That's what you are. That's what you are. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says this. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let me read verse 15 again. And he died for all so that they who live might no long, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Your personal distinctives and your circumstances were designed for one thing, his purposes. His pur- You've got all of your equipment. Why? Because they will serve his purposes. Second commitment. I live for one reason only. Purposes of God. I live for one reason only the purposes of God. God created you, and before the foundations, you have to just look in the scriptures before the foundation, He says, In the 21st century, this is what I want to have take place. And so I will make Frank. I'll make Frank born in whatever year Frank was born in. He'll be born out of that family. If you don't believe me, Acts 17 says that he's the one who's ordained our boundaries and our times. He'll be born at this time into this family in this place. He will have this circumstance, this circumstance, and this circumstance that he'll work through. And I will shape and mold him so that at the fullness of time for him, he will accomplish this for me. Do you realize Jesus came in the fullness of time? Is what it says in the scriptures. Your pastor, your new pastor, I've talked with him. He's a young guy. I love that. He, he's really young. But let me tell you something. God's work in his life for this church didn't start when you formed a search committee. When Pastor Clinton was a little kid, God said, He's working in him because he saw, he caused the end of a thing from the beginning. He saw this thing taking place. When he was a gleam in his daddy's eye, he said, this is the one. And so he goes to work early on shaping and molding for one reason only to fulfill his purposes. Now, we got lots of purposes in our lives. We got our families and our kids. I've seen people who hold their kids up as the reason that I can't do the thing that God wants me to do. Israel tried doing that at Kadesh Barnea. Do you realize that they did that? The reason they didn't go in is God brought us out here to die. Our kids are going to be consumed by these giants here, and so we ain't going in. Do you know what God did to that? to that? He said, then none of you adults are going to go in. You will die in the wilderness and your children will go in. Their reason for not going was their kids. If you're not living for the purposes of God, whatever it is that you value, that's the thing that you're living for. And that can easily become the idol. Here comes the test. Abraham, give me your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac. That's when you realize, am I living for Isaac or am I living God for your purpose? If, if Abraham had chosen differently with Isaac, there would be an altogether different outcome for all of us. But he didn't. He chose right to God. I love you more than I love him. I'm living for your purpose, not just simply for this boy that I waited 25 years for. 
And so the outcome not only inured to his benefit, but to yours and mine as well. The Messiah comes through his line. Why? Because he chose God and his purposes over his own. What an amazing thing. So that's the commitment. I live for one reason only, the purposes of God. How do I walk that thing out? Number one, you must consistently, persistently, and aggressively pursue and embrace his purposes in your life. Most of us don't even think of his purposes. We know the thing that we're in right now. We're not thinking, God, you've got a reason for this. You have a purpose connected with this. We need to become very conscious about the fact that whatever I go through, God, you are here with me, and so you are allowing this thing to take place. Um, in John 17, 4, Jesus says, Father, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. Here is how you begin to glorify God, by accomplishing the work that he's given you to do. You have a life purpose. You have a life work that he's called you to. It's And everything feeds into that. Everything, if you understand that, you begin to cooperate with that, then you start to find reason and meaning for the things that you go through, and in some cases, the things that you suffer. I live for one reason only, the purposes of God. What does that look like? Um, Let me move on. I'm coming to a close here. In working out that second commitment, what you need to do, what you want to do is to remove or to stay clear of the things that are the distractions. Don't be possessed by the things that you possess. The potential for idolatry is in virtually any and everything that we touch. Allow the things that God has given you to be just that, the things that God has given you. But understand that what God has given you, he is still greater than the gift that he gave you. And so, Lord, if you gave this to me, if you say give it up, I'll give it up. Because otherwise, it's got me rather than I've got it. So remove and stay clear the things that, that are the distractions that compete with his purposes, even if they are good things. One of the things that I want to suggest to you is that you periodically take your calendar and you place it before the Lord and pray over the things that you're doing. Allow him the right to add or to take away from what you're doing. And avoid Dead works, things that he has not initiated. Your good ideas and opinions and perspectives are fine, but you need to always check and make sure, God, is this you? Because if not, it will just simply take you offline. And, And one of Satan's most effective tools against us is distraction. We'll just get caught up in this thing and... He doesn't mind us getting caught up in this religious stuff. Why? Because the more I'm caught up with this, what does it keep me from? It keeps me from accomplishing the thing that God wants over here. So that last thing that I want to talk about in terms of the commitments that, that we make really is, is wrapped up in this thing of all things in verse 16. It says, all things are by him, all things are through him, all things are for him. It's important to relate properly to all things because God is in all of the details. Do you realize that in, in Romans 80 says, he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. What does all things mean? All things mean all things. Does that just mean the good stuff that's going on, God is causing that to work together for good? No. It means the bad stuff that's going on, God is causing to work together for good. Why? Because he presides over all of it and he will accomplish his will. I don't want to focus on the all things, but I do want to focus on all people. Because 
we're constantly engaging one another. And so, and God is using us to shape and to mold one another and to outwork his purposes. So here, in closing, I want to read a number of scriptures, one right after the other, and I want to point to that third that third commitment. Matthew 22, 34, and 40. You'll recognize these passages. Uh, the, the Pharisees, they come to Jesus. They say, what's the greatest commandment? Verse 37, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. You have heard it said, You shall love the Lord your God and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for another. Finally, John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. I won't read the whole passage. Verse 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay his life down for his friends. Ends in verse 17 by saying, this I command you, love one another. Every one of those things, every one of those things is a commandment. They are not suggestions. They are not options. They are commandments. And the commandment is love. Love who? Love God. Who else? Love your neighbor. An interesting one, love your enemy. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse it. Beatitudes, what did Jesus say? Man takes your, 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 your cloak, what do you give him? Shirt. Shirt as well. Hit you on one cheek, what do you do? Offer the other. Love your enemy. And then the last one is love one another. All of those constitute the law of love. It's unconditional. When you love your enemy, let me tell you something. That's willful. That's not an emotional love. I just assume bless you with a brick. (laughs) But it's a willful love. So the law of love is an unconditional love. It's a willful love. And love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Greater love has no one than this, than the one who would lay his life down. It's a sacrificial love. The stones, those three stones that keep us moving down that road to consecration. My life is not my own. I belong to him. I will live for one reason only, the purposes of God. And the third is that I will live under the law of love. Unconditional, willful, and sacrificial love toward one another. Remember we started this by reading Isaiah 59. Lord says, I can save and I can hear. But I got this thing, Israel. You guys aren't being precise or careful about things. These are all the Lord's. And this is how I've called you to live categorically. I will be with you. Because, oh, by the way, what, I did, what we didn't really look at in Isaiah 59, the Lord says that because of your stuff, cause him to turn away from you so that he does not hear. It's an interesting thing. You can have prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting, and God said, doesn't matter, I'm not going to listen. And if you think that's just an Old Testament thing, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers won't be hindered. That's New Testament. He says, you want, you want your prayers heard? Then you've got to live with your wife in an understanding way. So the thing is this. God says, here are the categories 
These have to be in your life. And there are a lot of other things also. But these are foundational issues that if they are not there, you are going to have difficulty with the notion of consecration because you'll negotiate, you'll compromise, you'll, you'll uh, uh, deflect your, your loyalties and your love, and you will not fulfill and accomplish my purposes. You are in a journey. It's a journey that is not complete. It's a journey that still has challenges. You, you, you've got a, a, another start with a new pastor that's coming. And you're moving toward a destiny that you have. My prayer is that you will take seriously the issues of my life is not my own. Personally, you need to make that commitment to God. I live for one reason only, the purposes of God. And Lord, I will work and love, work with and love any and everyone that you send without condition, willfully, and sacrificially. That at least gets you in the game together still with folks where there's disagreement or all kinds of other things. You work it out. As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. God has an amazing future for you, New Song Church. Not just as a congregation, but for the city and the region that you all find yourselves in. All of us are a part of a larger work of God. And what is he doing? He's bringing honor to himself in and through his church. What we just talked about, you can't do on your own. You can't. Sorry. It takes the one that Jesus says, it's more important for him to be with you than for me to be with you. And that is the spirit of God. I shared earlier in the meeting, I love the assemblies because of your focus and your value on the Holy Spirit. He is not a nice option for your vehicle. He is essential, standard, necessary equipment. I hate to put it in in those kind of terms, but you understand what I'm saying. The Pentecostal and the charismatic denominations and movement understand something about the essential nature of the Holy Spirit that many don't. And have built theologies outside of or away from. God has given you all that is necessary in a season filled with hope, filled with faith. Understand there is a way forward. And it's a way forward that will include and involve every individual who's here in this room making a determination before God. Lord. My life is not my own. Do with it whatever you want to do with it. I won't hold it back. I will live only for your purposes. Anything else that would detract or take me away from that, I'll have to move it aside. And I will work with and embrace as we work together, any and every one that you send without condition. I will sacrificially and volitionally give myself so that together we can accomplish this thing. Let me pray for you. Father, we are amazed at your brilliance that as you have created worlds, a cosmos, a universe which glorifies and and reflects your creative genius that you hold together, that you sustain, that in every respect manifests your greatness and your glory. Even so, 
you have called and positioned us to this place. Lord, it is you who brought us here. It is you who've connected us with one another. And that we collectively share a destiny toward your purposes. That this church shares a destiny in your purposes. And so, Father, I ask that you would write on the hearts of those who have heard your word. Write this on their hearts so that these things would not be forgotten nor set aside. But that, Lord, there would be a deep and a firm conviction, one that only you see and know, that they would indeed commit to you, to your purpose, to your ownership, to your creativity, and to your sovereign placement, such that at the end of the day, you have fashioned a vehicle which collectively would put forth your purposes manifest your glory, and extend your kingdom. May this be a deepening conviction in all of their hearts. And may it be, Lord, a, a, a place of, 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 of beginning a new phase in the journey. I commend New Song Church to you, to your glory, and to your purposes. In Jesus' name, thank you, O God. Amen.